right, welcome to another edition of the White Collar Crimes Podcast. I am Ryan Horn, the host. Always glad to have you and glad to have you aboard yet again. Hope you're doing well wherever you are. You know, it seems like we just can't get away from discussing Ponzi schemes on this show. And maybe because that is just simply the most common type of white-collar crime that's committed. It always seems to fall under that umbrella somewhere. And if you're just tuning in for the first time, a Ponzi scheme is when you take money in from investors, claim ridiculous and outrageous returns, promises of too-good-to-be-true results, and you take that money in, and rather than invest it, or at least not all of it, you take some and for your own personal enrichment. And as long as you have new investors continually coming in, you have some where you can pay off the old investors if they want to cash out or they want their returns. And again, as long as you have them coming in, then that's fine. You can keep your scheme going. But where Ponzi schemes always collapse is when people finally start wanting their money. They get suspicious about things the law enforcement may uh, have somebody on their radar, have the particular investment on their radar. A lot of things can happen that can eventually just bring it down, and that's what happens. And you'll see that in a case that we're going to cover on this episode, only this is more in the public sector, which a lot of times when we find these Ponzi schemes, they're more in the Wall Street world, so to speak. But this is a case, a very recent case, actually, that just happened. It's uh, very, you know, very, very recent as far as compared to some of the other cases that we cover on here. So, uh, but again, it's going to cover the public sector, which is something that is a little bit different than how we seem to always find most of these cases in the business world. But this case on this episode, which we're glad to bring to you through our sponsor, The Weekend Angler. Check out his YouTube channel, The Weekend Angler. Proud sponsor of our podcast. We're glad to have Josh, the Weekend Angler, on here. So please check that out along with all the episodes that we have here on Spotify or wherever you hear your podcast. So this one, as I said, is going to take us to the public sector, and it's going to take us to Oxnard, North Carolina. Now, I've only been to North Carolina once a few years back. My wife and I went for anniversary trip, and we ended up... Uh, we went to Asheville, North Carolina, there on the western end of the state, and saw the famous Biltmore Mansion, which, folks, if you've not seen that, definitely check that out. That is a really cool trip and something to behold. It is the largest private mansion in the country here and goes back to the family back then, the, uh, the Biltmore family when they owned it. And it's, uh, they, my understanding, the way the story works, they were steam engine tycoons and railroad tycoons and whatnot and built this just massive the closest thing we have to a european style castle here in this country and it's just nestled in the beautiful mountains there in western north carolina so yeah definitely check that out i really want to go at christmas time because i've heard that's when it's really cool Uh, i think the pamphlet some of the brochures we got from there said there's up to like 187 christmas trees on this property then so yeah something definitely to check out but this takes us into a little tiny i would say tiny but a small town in oxnard north carolina 
it is a case that just happened recently when an employee was sentenced to 44 months in prison for running this Ponzi scheme in the city of Oxnard, North Carolina. Small city, about 8,600 people, I think roughly somewhere in there, eight 9,000 people. In the southern Illinois where I'm from, that's a decent-sized town, but I know probably to a lot of you listening, that's probably pretty tiny compared to where you may be listening to or from, but it is uh, nonetheless where this takes us to. I have not heard of this town, haven't been there, but... Uh, it is a town it looked like it was located from what i could see in kind of like the north central part of the state and uh the employee's name i believe i'm pronouncing this correctly kuman nepali age 57 was an employee of the city of oxnard north carolina and he was sentenced recently within about the last year or so for as i said 44 months in prison for a total of 23 counts, he was arrested originally for 23 counts of wire fraud, money laundering, and an investment scam. As I said just a second ago, that's how the Ponzi schemes start. You lure people into the next best thing, and a lot of times operators of Ponzi schemes will give the early investors a pretty good chunk right out of the gate of a return to rope them in and build that trust. When you make a big investment, you promise ridiculous results and you get a really quick result back really fast, you're more likely to trust that and keep pumping money into the scam. Unbeknownst to you, it's a scam, but you're putting the money in and you are funding it. And that is how a lot of these scams, Ponzi schemes start out. And then, as I said, eventually when they run out of new investors and people start asking for their money, that's when the scam collapses. But as we'll see, this was a little bit different of a type of Ponzi scheme than we're used to seeing, so we'll get to that on this episode, and we're looking forward to, as I said, bringing you that because of our sponsor, and we're just excited to have you aboard on a lot of things. I hope you got a chance to order the audiobook I narrated on famous Hollywood director Howard Hawks. It is out on Amazon or Audible. It's called The Gray Fox of Hollywood. It's about the Howard Hawks story. And you can also order the CD version from cherryhillspublishing.com. That's uh, the the folks that publish this audiobook. So hope you got a chance to check that out. And I've always got updates on my voiceover work at ryan-horn.com. So be sure and check that out as well. But as I said, this employee was running a investment scam. Now, apparently he only worked for the city of Oxnard for about a year before getting this caught for getting caught up in this scam and he was listed as the city's transportation services manager now again I've not visited this city only been to North Carolina once uh, this is a smaller town it's actually only about half or a third of the size of the town I work in normally and uh I haven't heard of any cities around here that have a transportation services manager. I'm not sure what that position. I would expect that usually in a more large metropolitan area, but uh, maybe they've got a lot of railway services, public transportation, things like that located in this in this town. So I don't know, but it was a title I had not seen. I've not heard of any communities here in Illinois where I live that have this position. So. It could be something that's unique to North Carolina, not sure. But regardless, this was his position. It was a management position with the city that he oversaw and took uh, took this position. 
And not all that long before he actually got caught. Again, only worked at this position as the manager for about a year before his scam was brought to light. So like I said, it's kind of impressive, really. A city of about 8,600 or so has a position like this. So, uh, And as you'll see in a little bit, not too bad paying. I think it was reported that he was making... If I'm not mistaken, about $157,000 a year in this position. I mean, that's not too bad of money for small-town government. I don't know of very many positions, in, and there's some similar towns in my area of about this size, and I don't know any of their city officials that make that kind of money. So not a bad-paying position, whatever it entailed. But it's been reported that he used his standing in the Indian-American community to help pull this off gain trust from a lot of the investors i'm not sure but it's likely that a lot of them were from the indian community in this area and by indian i mean from the asian country india of that descent and apparently he was able to lure and rope a lot of them into investing and we'll see in just a second what he was getting them to invest in and for but apparently this position that he had in that local community was causing people to maybe to be a little more relaxed in their investments or at least trusting him to invest that was further reported that he raised over six hundred thousand dollars for his scam from at least a dozen victims so if you take about a dozen victims or so in six hundred thousand dollars that means average one probably donated roughly about 50k or so into this investment i that's a lot to rope in. I wish I had $50,000. I certainly hope it wouldn't get caught up in a Ponzi scheme if I invested it, but that's a lot of money. I would dare say most of us, most of the times in our lives, probably don't have that kind of cash to invest. So he was apparently able to target the victims and that were apparently affluent enough to be able to afford this kind of money in investing in what he, the scam he ultimately pulled off or did for a little while anyway. Because investors were believed and they were conned into thinking their money would go toward a real estate development in Orange County, North Carolina. Now, real estate's a good investment. I've uh, dabbled in it just a small amount myself. I had some problems last year, and I've said it over and over again, and I'll say it here on here. Do not ever, if you have shelter insurance in your area, trust them. We had some flooding damage to a rental property and they denied us on the claim screwed us out of a lot of damage that should have been covered but overall i think insurance is a scam and i I still throw that offer out here folks if you've been screwed over by an insurance company before email me at ryanhornvt at gmail.com i would love to have you on the show and if you don't want to come on if you just want to share your story i don't have to put your name on it or anything like that i would just be glad to get that story out there because i know myself and my friend uh that invests in property as well and had been screwed over by the same insurance company i know we're not the only two that have so if you are out there and it doesn't have to be shelter insurance i'm sure many of you have been screwed over by all kinds of them because that's pretty much what insurance does in my opinion it's a very mild form of legalized extortion and uh if you have a story i'd be glad to have you on for that but real estate's a good investment a lot of people a lot of the world's uh, richest people have made a good chunk of change in that. So certainly it's something that would seem logical and not probably throw up a lot of red flags to anybody at first. I mean, investing in real estate's a pretty logical thing, a logical investment, I would think. So that too probably made the investors feel a little bit relaxed 
and a little bit more likely to turn over their cash for that. As I said, in a classic Ponzi style, he did pay back the early investors with some money coming in from the new ones. Again, this earns the trust of the new investors. They're likely to fork over a little bit more money. They're convinced their investment's working. It's doing as promised. So they don't suspect anything for a while. And the new investors coming in, they're probably been told to give it a while, let your money grow, that kind of thing. Give it some time. So they're not going to ask for their money for a while. So at that point, it's a good spot for the Ponzi schemer. They've got money coming in from the new ones to keep it going. They can throw a little bone to the old investors to think it's working. And the rest goes for their sweet pot uh, to spend however they want. And it's almost always on a very lavish lifestyle, as we see in these cases. Now, like I said, this probably pacified them long enough to believe things were going well and they were getting a return on their investment. But that wasn't the case. As I said, most of the time it goes for personal enrichment, which is reported what happened here to Nepali in his scam. And it was also used for some of his personal debt in addition to some personal enrichment. Now, he convinced these investors that his position that he had in the city government privileged him to certain information, kind of giving him an investment advantage, knowing maybe if developments and things were coming. He was a public official. I'm not sure if this is an elected position there or appointed, but nonetheless, he was a public official. And this allowed him to tell people he had maybe inside knowledge that the average person does not. Now, we know this really does border on insider trading. We've done the Martha Stewart case and a lot of other white-collar criminals that have been sent to prison for that. And, uh, you know, insider trading is basically when someone has a position to get certain knowledge that the public doesn't have, and they take advantage of it and cash in stocks or invest in certain things coming that the average person's not going to know is out there. And it's real hard to prove. It's really difficult. Of all the white-collar crimes, I would say that's one of the more difficult for prosecutors to prove as far as intent goes. But uh, it's a very common form of white-collar crime, too, just like the Ponzi scheme is. And this allows uh, that person that has that position and knowledge to enrich themselves. And it is against the law. And as I said, people have gone to prison for it. And I would say it kind of bordered on that with what he was doing. Now, whether or not... Uh, how much of that he used to sell his, his scam, I guess, you know, remains to be seen. I'm sure it played a big role in it. But this is what he was doing in addition to giving easy, quick returns. He also assured them that this position allowed him to find things out. And they were on the inside track. If they just hang with him, he was going to find these things out and make them all a lot of money. But as we saw, that did not happen. And as I said... His scam eventually collapsed. He was brought into into, uh, the attention of law enforcement, and he was, uh, as I said a little bit ago at the beginning of the the episode, he was sentenced to 44 months in prison. Now, I believe he was aged 57 upon sentencing, and this was a case of about a year ago. So it is a very good chance that he could be out sometime in the next few years because he's only got a 44-month sentence, and he most likely will not do all of that when you factor in time served awaiting trial and uh, any type of good behavior or any release like that he may have. He very well could be out in the next year or so. So 
may not even be quite yet 60 years old. Certainly young enough he could get back out and try some type of other scam. Now, I will say that felony conviction like this should prohibit and bar him from any type of public office or public employment, but still, as we point out on this podcast all the time, can still work behind the scenes for someone as a quote-unquote consultant or uh, find some way to get out into the business world. Who knows? And if we hear anything about this case upon his release, we uh, certainly will cover it here. But uh, young enough, this is one we might see what will happen. Some of the ones we cover, they go to prison for life or they die in prison, and there's no way to know what if. But there's a lot of them that, uh, since white-collar sentences usually are more lenient than what street criminals get, most, overwhelming majority of white-collar criminals are going to live to see another day and have a chance to victimize and offend again. So that, who knows, that could be happening with this case. It may happen again. Will certainly still be young enough to get out there and strike up another scam, maybe of some other type of angle. I mean, again, like I said, probably not going to be able to use the public service angle. But nonetheless, the possibility would still be out there. Now, supposedly he was also ordered to pay restitution in this case. And that is something we always talk about on this podcast too because just for the simple fact not very many of them do it and what's always puzzled me that's usually a condition of their parole or probation depending on what they call it where what the jurisdiction it's at but most of the time they're ordered to pay this back when they get out and yet you often see very times they do not <clears throat> good example we've always given is the wolf of wall street case jordan belfort to my knowledge Little of the restitution he was ordered to pay has ever been paid back. But as I've said, that's always puzzling. Many of these offenders don't pay this restitution back, at least not in full, and they're never violated for it. If the average person out there, I've seen people on regular probation that may not pay fines or do a little bit of their public service, community service work, things like that, and they get revoked and they end up going back to jail. But for some reason, not many of these white-collar criminals do. So... That may be something to keep up with on this case as it goes along to see if the restitution and the people that were victimized. It should be easier in this case since there weren't a lot of victims compared to some of the other ones, maybe only about a dozen or so. So this should be able to target a little easier and see and follow up and make sure that those folks did get their compensation. And hopefully they did because they invested a lot of money, a lot of hard-earned, honest money. $50,000 for most of us or so is not anything small to sneeze at so hopefully the folks will get justice and that may be an angle on it later if this case is ever revisited on this podcast we certainly will keep an eye on that down the road well i'm very glad you did tune in to this one folks and like i said if you want to be a guest on here or you got an idea for a show i'm glad to hear from you on either Email me at ryanhornvt at gmail.com. And like I said, check out my voiceover work, ryan-horn.com. You can also email me at that email if you have a voiceover project. I know some of you may be authors and you've thought about putting your audio book out there. Got a lot of experience in that too, folks, and would be glad to do it. And as I always do, very much be glad to encourage you to adopt from your local pet shelter. Don't go to the backyard breeder, as they're called. You know, help your local shelter out. That's where it's needed the most and we are going to take a break uh, we're going to be out out on the road some in next week so uh the wife and i will be so i will not be 
doing a show next week, but we will be back in two weeks. In the meanwhile, you can check out some of the past episodes that we've had on here in case you missed one. Please follow us. Give us the good five-star rating on Spotify, Apple, wherever you're at. Spread the word. Help uh, your friends and family know about this because we've got to keep an eye on, especially our elderly friends and family. They're the ones that are oftentimes most victimized by these cases. So please keep an eye out for them as well. And keep an eye and an ear out. Like I said, we will be back in a couple of weeks. We've been so glad to have you aboard on this one. And we look forward to yet another one, folks. God bless. Take care. We will see you next time.